on TV, online and on your smartphone. This is Ticker News. Hi there, folks. We're talking AUKUS. It's an awkward name, but finally this long-term alliance has a name. But like all famous trios, there are always competing priorities and perhaps one left out as well. Because when it comes to AUKUS, could it be the case that the three partners, there are two pillars and one problem? I'm Aaron Young. Let's get started. The State with Aaron Young. It is great to have your company. The US, the UK and Australia joining forces under the AUKUS alliance. We know much of this security pact centres around efforts to support Australia acquiring conventionally armed but nuclear-powered submarines. It's a huge deal and it's Australia's biggest jump in military capability since the Second World War. The taxpayers footing the bill as well with $368 billion in spending over the next 30 years. The AUKUS agreement we confirm here in San Diego represents the biggest single investment in Australia's defence capability in all of our history. That is the Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese talking up his big spend to acquire these submarines. But where do the pain points actually lie and is there any room for it to grow? It's not some sort of club. Um, it is three countries that have uh, experience in nuclear propelled submarines uh, to help Australia develop that kind of capability. And it's important to remember uh, that this is really targeted on nuclear propulsion for submarines right now. Now, could it expand to other capabilities? Uh, we're just not. We're not sure. The U.S. national security spokesperson is really sticking to his talking points at the moment. But you could be forgiven for thinking that these three nations could work even closer. After all, they're Western democracies who are addressing some of the biggest geopolitical issues within the region. Let's call this phase two of the AUKUS project. To realise the pact to its fuller sense, <clears throat> does it need to be broadened? How about working closer on artificial intelligence, quantum computing, cyber tech and also hypersonics as well? So no surprise, it's drawn the attention of those also in the Indo-Pacific region. Let's bring up this article from Ruan Zonze, who's written in China Daily. We know this is an English language newspaper owned by the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. It reads, if it keeps going like this, the security and stability in the region will be threatened. Goes on to say, Western powers use the China threat theory as a pretext to beat the drums of warfare. Let's hear from Beijing's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. This trilateral cooperation constitutes serious nuclear proliferation risks, undermines the international non-proliferation system, exacerbates arms risks, and hurts peace and stability in the Asia-Pacific. It has been widely questioned and opposed by regional countries and the wider international community. We urge the three countries to abandon Cold War mentality and zero-sum games, faithfully honor international obligations, and do more things that are conducive to regional peace and stability. Right. Talk about talking points, right? Now, Dr. John Coyne is from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, and he joins me now. Great to have you with us. What do you think about the U.S. rhetoric that AUKUS is primarily about just nuclear submarines? Um, look, AUKUS is divided into two parts. There can be no doubt, talk to the first one, the first one is these nuclear submarines, and there can be no doubt uh, that that is a closed club. Now, when we're saying that there are only six countries in the world with nuclear submarines, um, now, the idea of Australia gaining access to these, what we're talking about here in a very colloquial sense is, um, you know, the US has only ever done this once before uh, with the UK, and it can be a, considered something akin to sharing um, their crown jewels. 
so that's very much a closed club, a closed group of countries working together for a single purpose. The more exciting or just as exciting uh, part is Pillar 2, which opens up the opportunity. The language is quite clear there around other like-minded countries. So this is where we start looking about developing technologies such as hypersonics, underwater capabilities, uh, cyber capabilities, electronic warfare capabilities. Interesting. AUKUS has been pretty cagey, the, the three different countries involved, on the actual security advice underpinning why this needs to happen. It seems like do not use the C word, the China word at all. What do we know about the security reasons? What are they seeing that means that Australia is willing to spend not 50 billion like we thought we would be with the French subs, but over 350 billion for nuclear capabilities? Um, look, let's be really quite clear here. Setting aside the rhetoric that so often comes out of um, Chinese-owned media or from Chinese states spokesmen and women, um, you know, the rhetoric doesn't match up to the truth, which is um, China promised not to militarise the islands in the South China Sea. Um, it has unequivocally made and done that. Um, it promised not to uh, put capabilities like missiles and air defence systems on there. It has categorically done that. In claiming the nine-dash line, um, so control over almost all of the South China Sea, um, you know, what we're seeing here is incredibly assertive behaviour. If we look to the land border between uh, China and India, we see constant um, disagreements and indeed loss of life at times. Uh, we see major uh, disagreements in the South China Sea between Vietnam and China, between uh, Philippines and China, between Malaysia and China. We see a global fishing fleet uh, being used to exert power and powers of statecraft. We see economic coercion. Uh, we see Australia being presented with you know, a list of 14 ultimatums. Um, so what we're seeing here is an incredibly assertive and double standard China. Now, the CCP or the Chinese Communist Party has made it very clear that it intends to reunify with Taiwan. Um, people if it can by force if it must. Um, we're also seeing very clear messaging that they want to redesign rules-based order, um, remake the rules world, uh, the world's rules. Um, so this is changing, and it's, it's not about a Cold War mentality. It's changing the strategic calculus that we face. So by that, what I mean is um, with this increasing strategic uncertainty, the possibility of what I call operational misadventure. Mm. So, Do you think you know, AUKUS, though, is the right term? Because it feels a bit like it's the start of some sort of NATO alliance, but in the Indo-Pacific region as well, because there are a number of countries you mentioned that all have issues with China. They're not in AUKUS, which is obviously it started off with the submarine nuclear program. But as you mentioned, it's turning into something much more. What about New Zealand, who, as we know, has no interest in nukes? But what about Canada as well? Japan, too. Should Japan have been included in AUKUS. What's your view? Look, there are a range of many lateral um, agreements and treaties. So, you know, ANZUS has been around for a long time, and that's where Australia, New Zealand, and the US cooperate. Um, Australia has an incredibly strong bilateral relationship and treaty arrangement uh, with the US. We have an increasingly strong bilateral relationship with the Japanese. Um, we see trilateral discussions between Japan, Australia, and the US. Um, we've seen the formation of the Quad. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's these things aren't exclusive in the sense that you can't have a relationship outside of AUKUS. Um, AUKUS, at its central part, is dealing with the exchange of some of the most highly classified, highly sensitive capabilities, which is nuclear propulsion. Um, it will, in other areas, grow and bring in other like-minded partners, but certainly it's no uh, no equivalency can possibly be drawn uh, between those, that very tight scope and between um, NATO. But just quickly, I mean, we talk about China's capabilities. What do we know there? I mean, do they have the Blue Water Fleet, for example, and will Australia's minuscule fleet, which is going to take decades to actually arrive, ever be able to fully compare to what China has? Look, Aaron, that is a, that's a really complicated um, question. I'll go for the second question and back to the first. Let's be really clear on this, which is, you know, there is a really big problem, which is um, the strategic uncertainty I discussed earlier, it's not coming in 10 years, it's not coming in 20 years. We had um, the Defence Strategic Update here in Australia 2020, and we had just recently saw the release of the Defence Strategic Review, which says we have this strategic uncertainty now. So um, big questions about, you know, how do we fill this gap before um, the submarines arrive? Um, secondly, which is, um, you know, the real challenge here is, is, is about, it's not about Australia building an armed force or a defence force that equals or rivals that of um, of China. It is about building a capability that is able to meet our strategic needs. Now, those strategic needs include um, uh, the protection of our sea lanes, our maritime approaches, etc. Yeah, and I think if that is the, the key point, as you mentioned. We're going to talk about that a little bit further because I'm interested in our reliance on China when it comes to actually building part of the AUKUS uh, stuff as well. Uh, we're speaking with John Coyne from Aspie. When we come back, we're going to be talking a bit more about AUKUS and what it's going to mean. Do stay with us. 